Tech Writer Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 742 for the 7th of May, 2021. This week, Google will be eliminating third-party cookies for those who use the Chrome browser and replacing them with federated learning of cohorts, which many privacy experts say is just as bad and possibly worse. In short circuits, if you're tired of having websites constantly pop up messages asking for your permission to push notifications to you, most browsers have a way to make it stop. Adobe Stock is offering a limited number of completely free photo and video resources, but it seems more likely to be a way to introduce new users to the paid stock offerings. In spare parts only on the website, having digital copies of medical IDs on a phone will be helpful if you need care when your wallet has been lost or stolen, but it's even better if you have the information online where you can retrieve it from any computer good security is essential. It's likely that hybrid education will continue for a while, and many businesses seemingly have no plans to ever restore full-time in-office requirements for employees. And 20 years ago, following the dot-com meltdown, there were some encouraging signs for high-tech, but no shortage of problems remained. Google says that it takes your privacy seriously, and so it is eliminating third-party cookies from the Chrome browser. Hey, that's great. After all, third-party cookies have long been a privacy issue. But wait, there is a bit more to the story. Cookies set by a website when you're visiting can be helpful and might even be essential. The site writes these small files to your computer so that the website can assist your navigation. Third-party cookies are something else entirely. These are the cookies that allow advertisers to follow you around the Internet. Perform a search on information about how to repair a problem with a car, and you'll soon see ads for auto parts and new cars. Marketing and advertising search firms think third-party cookies are wonderful because they give advertisers ongoing access to information about what a user is looking at and interacting with. Cookies can reveal a user's interests, demographics, location, and more. A lot more. So goodbye, third-party cookies. It's great that Google will eliminate them from Chrome. Or is it? Google long ago dropped the don't be evil tagline, and some observers are saying that Google's replacement for third-party cookies is the epitome of evil. The replacement Google is testing is called Federated Learning of Cohorts, Flock for short. Even if you do use Chrome, you probably don't yet have Flock. It's being tested on about half of 1% of Chrome browsers in the United States, along with Australia, Brazil, Canada, India, Indonesia, Japan, Mexico, New Zealand, and the Philippines. The Electronic Frontier Foundation, one of the loudest privacy advocates, says Flock is a terrible idea that should not be implemented. Google's experimentation with Flock is also deeply flawed, they say. 
The EFF wants to raise awareness about the future of Chrome and why Flock shouldn't be a part of that future. The EFF's explanation is more than a bit concerning. You'll find a link to their full explanation on the TechBiter Worldwide website this week. It's concerning in no small part because the technology that underlies Chrome is also used by nearly all other browsers. Of the major browsers, only Netscape and Safari don't depend on the Blink engine. Flock analyzes your browsing history in Chrome and assigns you to a category. Google uses the fancy term cohort for category. Then the information about your cohort can be sent to a website when you visit. The information tells the website, using aggregate data, information about the group. So this depends on Google's algorithm accurately assessing you and your interests. Currently, the information is updated weekly. That may be more frequent in the future. Google says, and I quote here, Flock allows you to remain anonymous as you browse across websites and also improves privacy by allowing publishers to present relevant ads to large groups called cohorts. Apparently, you remain anonymous because you're just a little part of a big group. The information about you individually isn't shared with advertisers, but it still gives advertisers a lot of information about who you are. Google also maintains that it won't create groups that it deems sensitive. Medical websites, websites with political or religious content, sexual interests, or race, for example. But then the Google blog post says the cohort won't be used without learning which sensitive topics users were interested in, which seems to have a high resemblance to DoubleTalk. And Google says individual websites can opt out of Flock so that the browser won't include visits to that particular website when determining a cohort. Of course, that depends on the website developer understanding the process and implementing it. If you wonder whether Flock has been enabled on your Chrome installation, the Electronic Frontier Foundation has an online service that will tell you. I have a link to it on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Launch the site from Chrome and click the Check for Flock ID button. You'll probably find that you are not included in Flock. Yet. So is the cure worse than the disease? DuckDuckGo seems to think so, and it has launched a new extension for Chrome that's designed to block Flock. DuckDuckGo, which operates a search engine that competes with Google, created the extension for Chrome that, when installed, changes the browser's default search engine to DuckDuckGo, which does provide some protection, but Flock can still analyze the browser's cache if it's been activated. The extension is supposed to block trackers on websites you visit and stop companies from collecting and selling your data. DuckDuckGo also recommends using a browser other than Chrome and a search engine other than Google. If those suggestions seem just a little bit self-serving, well, clearly they are. Users can also log out of their Google account, but that eliminates useful features such as synchronization across machines. It's also possible to turn off personalization in Google's Ad Settings panel. And that won't reduce the number of ads you receive, but it will make the ads less interesting to you. If you find these podcasts useful, and I hope you do, might you consider a donation? There are no ads here, and support from listeners is the sole source of income. It's easy. Just visit the website and click the Donate button near the top of any page. 
You can make a one-time donation or schedule a repeating donation every month. I thank you. And so does the cat. In short circuits, some website developers seem to spend altogether too much time creating new ways to annoy site visitors. Remember flash animations that visitors had to watch before being allowed into a site? Or audio files that played automatically? Even worse, video files that play every time the user goes to a site. Well, now we have pop-ups that offer to send us notifications, as if we need more interruptions. You can tell each site no, but many will continue to ask anyway. Apparently, the developers hope you'll eventually either give up and allow notifications, or that you'll accidentally click the wrong answer. If you find these as annoying as I do, there is a way to eliminate them, at least most of the time. Let's take a look at how to banish these annoyances in Firefox and Chrome. The information for Chrome should work on most Chromium-based browsers, including Microsoft Edge. If you do have a Chromium-based browser, start by typing chrome colon slash slash settings slash content slash notifications in the address bar. You can copy and paste that from the TechBiter Worldwide website. This will open the settings panel, then select privacy and security. Scroll to the notifications section and you'll see the words sites can ask to send notifications or something like that. The exact wording may vary by browser toggle that switch to the off position. For Firefox, start by clicking the hamburger menu in the upper right corner, then choose Options from the menu. When the Options panel is open, select Privacy and Security, then scroll down to the Permissions section, click Settings on the Notifications tab. That will open a Permissions panel that shows the sites for which you have allowed or blocked notifications. To eliminate future interruptions, Click Block New Requests Asking to Allow Notifications. Then click the Save Changes button. Adobe Stock is one of the most comprehensive sources for photos, templates, video, and audio tracks. Prices are generally reasonable, but Adobe has acquired virtually all of the stock services that provide the least expensive images. But now Adobe has some free options. Adobe's stock images generally cost up to $10 individually, but some premium images selected for exclusive use may cost hundreds of dollars. Various subscription plans drop the cost significantly. It's hard to argue with any of that. Photographers do need to have income for essentials such as cameras, computers, and software, as well as for luxuries such as homes, clothing, electricity, and food. But those who need occasional images for projects that have low budgets or no budgets, even $10 per image might be too much. And the quantity of images needed might not justify even the most basic subscription plan. So Adobe Stock now offers a limited number of images for free. 
The selection is a severely limited subset of the full offerings, and the images themselves are more basic than what you'd find in the paid section. One might reasonably suspect that at least some of the motivation for the free images is to entice designers to sign up for one of the paid plans. The $30 per month plan provides access to 10 basic paid images per month, so that lowers the price to just $3 per image. For $200 a month, a designer can download 750 images each month. That makes it less than 30 cents an image. So this really is an outstanding deal for anyone who needs a reasonable number of images every month. To understand the differences between one of the paid plans and the free offerings, I used the search term cat, and I was offered a selection of 275 free cat images. When I expanded the search to include standard paid images, the selection increased to more than 2 million images. Subscription plans provide access to royalty-free, high-resolution standard images, as well as standard templates, 3D assets, and music tracks. Assets such as premium images, premium templates, premium 3D, editorial assets, video, and standard images with extended licenses are omitted. If you find something that's not included in the plan that you really want to use, you can purchase the rights to it individually. Adobe Stock is available to anyone, including those who don't use Creative Cloud. Licensed images come with a perpetual license, but the images cannot be used to create something you will sell or for print runs greater than half a million. To use an image on something you plan to sell, a coffee mug for example, an extended license would be required. And of course you're not permitted to sell any of the downloaded images. There are no limitations for images used on websites, in social media, or mobile applications. To check out the free offerings, visit the Adobe Stock website. There's a link to it from the TechBiter Worldwide website, www.techbiter.com. Spare Parts also has no limitations, and you can read that section using your computer, tablet, or phone on the TechBiter Worldwide website. This week, you'll find these articles. Having digital copies of medical IDs on a phone will be helpful if you need care when your wallet has been lost or stolen, but it's even better if you have the information online where you can retrieve it from any computer. Good security is essential. It's likely that hybrid education will continue for a while, and many businesses seemingly have no plans to ever restore full-time in-office requirements for employees. And 20 years ago, following the dot-com meltdown, there were some encouraging signs for high-tech, but no shortage of problems remained. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.